Hello and welcome to Potter Not, a podcast for new and returning readers and watchers with conflicted Harry Potter feelings. I am Zoe, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a jaded fan. I'm Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I am also a jaded fan, but also a bigger fan of the movies than I thought I was. And I'm E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a frustrated fan. This week, we will dive into the good and the bad of the film version of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which we watched last night. We watched it. We did. We did that. It's a good movie, y'all. It is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Quite enjoyable. I'm so relieved that it was a good movie because now I get to go out on this book feeling kind of good on it. Yeah, like your big takeaway. Yeah, like I liked I think uh, my <laughs> my sourness on the book made the movie better for me mm. because I, you know, I, I was comparing it and I was like, oh, my God, this is so much better than this book. <laughs> which I mean, it has a lot of the same issues as the book, which we'll get into. There are too many things that this is trying to be. That's still an issue. Yeah. But the biggest thing I realized that I didn't like. When I was a kid watching the movies as they came out and absolutely hated them because they were not true to the books, now I'm like, oh, thank you for not being true to the books in those ways. Yeah. Because yeah. like it fixes all of the, like, this book needed an editor. And the movie was like, well, we can't make a movie that's eight hours long, so we'll edit it. Yeah, I was actually reading this morning, um, I was reading some stuff about the production of this movie. And early in development, they actually thought it was going to be two movies. Like, yeah, they yeah. were considering making two movies out of this book just because of how much book there is. Mm -hmm. Which I think would have been a big mistake. It would have been yeah. the Hobbit movies. Yeah. I was going to say all over again, but before the Hobbit movies, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> the Hobbit movie did not need to be three movies, my lord. Um, and the Goblet of Fire being two movies would have been a huge mistake. Especially but, in the middle of the series, like I think it's kind of okay for the last book to have been split into two. Yeah. But in the middle of the series, that would be a lot. Which, I mean, and I'm glad that they, the between the director and the screenwriter, they realized like there is so much that you can trim out of this book and not lose the essential parts of it. Mm -hmm. Which I can understand being frustrated with. Like, as a young fan, I probably also would have been frustrated. Just like, there's so much missing. So it's actually very funny that you mention that. Because um, Liv has never read, my partner has never read uh, the fourth book. And hadn't ah. seen the movie since it had come out. But was sitting and, like, vaguely watching with me. And... One of the interesting things that she noted was that um, the there's a scene that was changed from the books. So there's a lot more, and we'll talk about this more in a second, but there's a lot more indication that Moody is not Moody. Yes. And there's a scene where Crouch is chatting with Harry in the forest instead of Crumb. Um, and so rather than crowd Crouch the madness of Mr. Crouch, yeah, no, Crouch, Barty Crouch. Oh, sorry, Crouch Sr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Crouch Sr. is chatting with Harry after the second task and sort of congratulating him. Ludo Bagman did this in the book, not mm -hmm. Crouch. And Moody sees them and kind of comes up and a little bit confronts who we know is his father. And 
he does the little tongue thing that sort of indicates that it's David Tennant's little <laughs> take yeah. that he added to the character of Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah, a little tell, basically. And there's a moment where Crouch Sr. sort of starts forward and then does like an about face and walks into the forest. And if you've read the book, then you know like, okay, he's probably under like a voiceless imperious curse or something. Like, why did he just walk into the forest? And then a few yeah. scenes later, Harry finds his dead body. Yeah. And my partner, like, did not realize, first of all, that that was Crouch Sr.'s dead body because it was not explicitly clear. You barely see his face. And mm-hmm. I also did not realize that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crouch yeah. Sr. is not a, not a big character in the movie. I feel like I was not paying attention after at the end of that scene so i was like oh did they just that scene's just not in the movie where harry where like we know that crouch died yeah yeah Uh, i guess we don't know in the book it's very brief yeah we don't know until the end when moody crouch says i buried i like killed my father and turned him into a Mm -hmm. bone and buried him um but in the movie it there's you know after that scene Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid are walking through the forest, and Harry comes across uh, Crouch Sr.'s dead body. I totally did not even see that. I was not paying attention, clearly. (laughs) Well, and my partner wasn't paying super huge attention either, but the thing is, like, as someone, the fact that, like, you didn't catch that either, and a person who has never read the book, like, Mm -hmm. didn't understand that, that's actually, like, a really interesting aspect of the movies where... In a yeah. lot of ways, what they cut only makes sense to cut if you've read the book. See, that's part of what I was thinking. Like, a lot of the stuff that gets cut is just cruft. Like, Dobby and Winky didn't need to be in the book. Don't miss them. Added nothing. Yeah. Know? Like, Ludo Bagman, don't miss him. Um, like, Do you miss Bertha Jorkins, though? Uh, terribly. I yeah, miss her. Anyway. <laughs> um, but, like... A lot of the edits in here are smart, but also, and I was thinking about this last night after we finished, this movie would be absolutely baffling to watch on its own as a standalone movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you get, you don't even get a cursory introduction to the characters. Like, a lot of movies that are, like, in the middle of a series, movies or books, will, like, spend a little bit of time at the top just giving you, like a little bit of exposition rundown of what you've missed if you're hopping in here for whatever reason. But no, they're just immediately headed to the World Cup with no explanation. Yeah, this movie does none of that. Like, no, like, this is Harry Potter. He's a wizard. He's in his fourth year of school, and he's the and he has a villain nemesis. Yeah, which, which the books... The books do yeah. every time, and that's a thing that we find find annoying in the books. Yeah. I mean, it's annoying, but it's also, like... I think especially for a movie, it's necessary. I think you're less likely to hop in to a series at book four than you might like go watch a movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like going to the theater on the weekend with your group of friends, like they're all fans and you're not, but you're just tagging along. And then you see this sort of utterly incomprehensible movie. Utterly incomprehensible. Like it doesn't, I was thinking, like, I don't remember how this movie ended. Uh, ends with the three of them sitting, like, Yeah, in the there's that, like, goodbye in the courtyard. Courtyard. Talking about how the world's yeah. gonna be different now. And Everything's like, gonna what, change now. What 
world. Like the ministry larger world stuff is entirely cut out. So is all of the Fred and George stuff, which is a little all sad. The- Fred and George stuff, which I do kind of miss. The Rita Skeeter subplot is kind of nonsensical in the way that it exists in the movie because it doesn't finish. Yeah. Yeah, it's because Rita Skeeter doesn't exist anymore until, like, much later. Like, in the, in the books, she's in the next book. Yeah. But in the, the movies, she's not there the until, movies, like, the end. We get to the point where she makes up the Harry and Hermione thing, and then it just hangs. Yeah on that which is weird yeah yeah and then the voldemort stuff comes out of nowhere if you haven't read it before and like this these are all problems that like the screenwriter didn't introduce like this is just what this book is and i do think that like we way preferred the movie over the book i think as a whole all yeah. three of us ended up and like I, you know, think highly of book four, but I still prefer the movie over the book. But it's not without its issues. Yeah. I think it might be partly just because we were able to watch it in two and a half hours rather than read it over <laughs> nine months. Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> we were watching five minutes at a time over a year. I'm sure we would find a lot to be frustrated with. So I know what our next podcast will be. We're oh gonna do uh, Harry Potter by the minute in the same way that people do Star Wars by the minute. And we're just going to analyze every Harry Potter movie minute by minute. Uh, I would like to I would like to give a brief shout out. I think I may have shouted them out before to the podcast Shadow Facts, F-A-C-T-S, oh, yes. <laughs> which is a essentially minute by minute reread and rewatch of Lord of the Rings. But focused on horses, I believe. Focused on the horses. Yes, uh, shout that's out great. To- Joey and Caitlin for that podcast. Um, um, anyways. Very important. Yeah, we had a lot of positives about this movie, though. Yeah, let's talk about Crouch and that subplot, because I think the movie handles it just about as well as it possibly could, given the starting material. So we kind of warned you that the court scene was going to be really different. And yeah. Adela remembered, I didn't, that... Um, Crouch's character is introduced way earlier. Yeah, in the beginning scene. David Tennant is in the house with Frank and Voldemort and Wormtail. Which rules. I love that. That's so smart. With also his, like, doesn't he do the, like, tongue thing in that scene? So you know know it's his cell? Yeah. Like, already from the beginning. It's the whole thing we talked about with the, like, if someone is an imposter, yes. the audience needs to be able to know that they are an imposter. Yeah. Some, like, even if the characters obviously can't, don't have any, like, suspicions. Right. And it's part of that contract that an author has with an audience when it's a mystery, right? You have to give clues. And if you don't give comprehensible clues, then it's not a mystery. Which yeah. is what we had problems with in the book, right? Crouch is the best actor in the entire universe because there are no tells. Um, I mean, the movie can't fix that. No, but it, it does a better job and it introduces yeah. the clues that are necessary. Yeah, so you see, you see him in that first scene with Voldemort. You see him explicitly at the World Cup, although Harry doesn't. Yeah. But you um, know it's the same person because of the hair and the face shape. And I the think tell. the audience. I think the audience sees his face. And it's like a 
a very clear orders are given carrying out orders, right? You see his face. Voldemort says you need to show them. And then you see the same guy performing a spell that is the big symbol. And you're like, oh, I see. This is him carrying out the orders. Moody being very shifty when he's drinking from his flask. You see him doing the tell at least once. You see actual Moody in the trunk at one point. You do. (laughs) And you also see um, not just the tell, but the tell immediately followed by drinking more polyjuice potion. Yeah. Which indicates that, like, he can tell when he's screwing up and he needs to, like, Yeah, and there's two different mentions, which I think is a little bit excessive, of Polyjuice Potion. Uh, First by, God, what's her name? The Ghost. Moaning Myrtle, and second by Snape. I think this is a good point to bring up, uh, or a good time to bring up um, something that Rebecca, my girlfriend, pointed out when we were watching it last night, which is that this is the only movie where they stick to the thingy from the books where poly polyjuice potion changes your voice. Yeah. The rest of the movies, oh, anytime they use polyjuice potion, they k- keep their own voice and they have to like adjust it. Did that happen in book two? Yes. They kept their yes. voices. Yeah. Ooh, in the books, their voices always get changed, which makes sense because it's changing yeah. like their entire physical body. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Like your but, vocal tract is a different shape. Yeah. And, like, in the movies, they do it so that the audience is 100% clued in on who these characters are supposed to be. And they don't in this movie because it would be too obvious because it's the entire movie with this character. Yeah, David like, Tennant and the actor for Moody are have completely different voices. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm glad that they did that for this movie. I, I wish that they hadn't changed, kept their voices in the other movies. That always bugged, yeah. bugged me. But anyway. I also never realized that they didn't, I didn't like realize the disconnect between this movie and the others in that regard until Rebecca pointed it out. So, but like for all of the issues that we had with Crouch, the movie doesn't change everything and fix everything, but it does a good job. Yeah, the writer's hands are kind of tied with a lot of the canon stuff. So, like, he's still inexplicably kind to Neville. We don't see it explicitly but like the class and like focusing on harry potter Mm -hmm. like he still defends harry against draco and does the ferret thing with draco and is like kind to harry and like winks at him yeah so it doesn't fix everything but for a lot of the issues that we had it provides a better it makes it into an actual mystery yes yeah then yeah the trial scene Uh Uh-huh. So there's... They condensed all of the trials. So, like, Karkarov is on trial. The only trial, yeah. Gives up the name... Karkarov is there, and he gives up the name Barty Crouch Jr. as Crouch Jr. enters the room. So that's sort of squished into one. I have a few issues with some of the directing, and the absolute, like, comedic... faux-comedic timing of Karkaroff saying Barty Crouch and then this like long pause and then Junior. His Junior. Yeah, like I love it. <laughs> I hate it. There is no way that Kar- that Karkaroff would do that. No, I agree, but I love it's it. Nonsense. But yeah, that whole scene I I don't like everything about that scene except for the change to Crouch Junior's 
um, mannerism. Mm. I think it was very smart to make him, like, manic and proud of his actions. Yeah, because that's the big issue that I always had, is he's proud of what he did to Neville's family. I kind of rankle at the... Because in that scene, he's like... And I don't like using this word because it's very loaded, but he's kind of acting crazy. Yeah. Acting crazy in quotes as society at large would view it. Very manic, like, erratic. Stereotypical. Um, Stereotypical. And I don't like that because that's not the crouch that we see at the end of the book who's bragging to Harry. A little bit. But it's toned way down, yeah. But I think it weakens the character if he was already... Quote-unquote deemed crazy, yeah. From the beginning. Like, no, this guy chose to be evil. Yeah. He repeatedly chose to be evil. I agree. But I think I have a slightly different view because of characters we see later who are also shown as this, like, manic, proud-of-being-evil kind of thing that I think is supposed to not necessarily be quote-unquote deemed crazy, but Mm -hmm. instead just the most evil someone can be and therefore relishing in it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Thinking of the same character you're thinking of, but yeah. Yeah, we are definitely thinking of the same character. But I think that given the lack of context so far, right, he's totally right. Like, what this is depicting is a stereotypically depicted, quote-unquote, crazy person. And it's not until later that you see that, like, maybe that's not the case. Like, it's close to a stereotypical depiction of, like, psychosis. Yes. Like, it's that far. Which, compared to, and I think it's bad for me because of this, compared to, um, what's-his-name's portrayal of Voldemort at the end of the movie? Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes? Fine, I, I don't know. Fine is Ralph. Who we'll is call him Ralph. <laughs> Ralph does a great job. And he's also doing a manic. Oh, yeah. And we really liked that. I forgot how good that was. That was great. Like, that is a fantastic performance. The way that the writer sort of edited the dialogue in that scene to... Dialogue. I think you mean monologue. <laughs> and, but it becomes dialogue. And that's it, the yeah, good part. exactly. Like, he's in dialogue with Lucius and then with Harry instead of just speaking into the air. Yeah. Um, So the writing is very, very tight and the performance is exceptional. But that's manic without the added layer of mad, which I think is the difference for me. Yeah, 100%. Overall, good improvement on the Crouch story in the film. Obviously, still some major issues with it, but... Good work, and underused David Tennant. (laughs) Yeah, David Tennant wasn't in it much. This movie came out the same year that he started in Doctor Who, right? Doctor Who, yeah. And that was the... Or was it... No, it was the same year that Doctor Who came back, not with David Tennant. I was going to say, this is like at least a year before he was... David Tennant was the year after that. So, but my point is, I don't think David Tennant was very well known outside of, like... British things. Yeah, I think this was kind of a breakout for him. He was in, I mean, like, name a British actor who isn't in a BBC thing. 
that's what I'm saying. It's like outside of British things that like yeah. people over here don't necessarily watch. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Should we talk about gender? <laughs> Boy, let's talk about Is it time to talk about gender and the two genders of yes. butterflies and staffs? There are two <laughs> genders. They are blue dresses and butterflies and suits and staves. Um yeah. Tag yourself. Please um, tag yourself, which gender are you? <laughs> If you don't remember, the Bobaton and Durmstrang introductions, the students literally come in, and I cannot say this strongly enough, doing a performance of gender. <laughs> like, there, there's no other way to describe it. The Bobaton, which is all girls, mm-hmm. they're all dressed identically. Uh, they do this... It's not quite a dance, but they like sashay. It's a sashay. And <sighs> they're all synchronized. They're like sighing and like flirting. I remember there was a huge, huge controversy about this scene oh? because the director chose to focus directly on the asses of these women. Yep. They like trot in and they sashay, and there's a shot that looks at them from ass up. And it's like bouncing butts in satin up. And the, the problem, of course, being that these are like 14 to 19 year old women. And there was yeah. like a big controversy around this of like, why would you do that? And the answer is because we're viewing this from Harry and Ron's perspective. And that's exactly where their 14 year old eyeballs went because they are 14 and it's okay to have sexual thoughts at 14. That's normal. Like that's, I don't know. It's like part of teenagerhood, right? Yeah, but for an adult director to focus on that, yeah, there was there was controversy. There was absolutely controversy, understandably, but also I understand why it's done because this is from their perspective. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of uh, gender and and teen feelings and hormones in this scene. There is also an implication that like every single Bobaton student is just as alluring as Fleur. Yeah, yes. because because the Vila don't exist in the movies. Not specifically. So yeah. Fleur is not part Vila. She is just beautiful. Yeah. And so is everyone else in Bogotá. And then the Durmstrang students come in doing like, I don't know, it's not quite baton twirling because there are different associations with that. Uh-huh. But it's like a martial performance with yeah. staves. Like, they're in military dress, almost. Yeah. Military dress and furs. And uh, grunting. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, they grunt instead of sigh. Like, the music is very percussive. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. It's extremely gender. It's extremely gender. And the gender does not stop there. Yeah. Because the book also went into this whole thing with Hermione and Ron and everything. Um, but Ron in this in this movie, very gender. Which makes sense for Ron as like the character arc that he's going through. But it's accentuated by the fact that the movies have a total like lack of creativity with regards to fashion. Yeah. And yeah. the way that fashion is gendered. So and it's especially bad with the prom. Because you see, like, all of the students, except for the Durmstrang students, are just, the men are wearing black tuxes. Basically, yeah. And the girls are wearing 
just like normal teen prom dresses. And like we had this discussion in the book of like what the fuck is a dress robe? Mm-hmm. Because obviously what she wants is to say something fancy, but what she means is a suit. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ron is the only character who has anything resembling a robe. And it's deemed as like, he talks about it making him look like an old woman and making him look too feminine. And all the characters make fun of him. I mean, um, it is. Like, it's a 15th century style robe, which is completely out of place among the fashion that has been depicted here. Yeah. Which is yeah. unfortunate. They should all be wearing 15th century fashion. Yes, I am on. Obviously. Um, there's bits and pieces of the, the, the gender that I don't mind and bits and pieces that I hate. Um, my partner, again, who has not read the books and has not seen the movie since it came out, um, was chatting with me this morning and said, I was reminded, reminded by how Ron's character is annoying. And when you're a kid and you read it, it being Hermione, Ron stuff, as the boy, girl, whatever, but really it's obnoxious. Um, yeah. The, that's the part I think that I really hate other than the Durmstrang Bobaton gender that we already discussed is like, they really go whole hog and leaning into the Ron Hermione, will they, won't they Ron, it's not, thing. it's not even will they, won't they, it's just Ron being a complete asshole. Yeah. Also, it is absolutely that. Also, I think it is affected by the fact that Hermione as a character in the movies is very different than Hermione as a character in the books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the way that Emma Watson plays her is not, it's a lot more gendered. Yeah. And the way she is in the books. Yeah. Which is probably more of a slam on the directing. than Yes, absolutely. It's not a, yeah. Like between the directing and the costuming and hair makeup. They chose to make the the fight at the end of the Yule Ball to be her, like, kind of yelling, but more just crying, rather yeah. than, like, the actual blow-up they have in the book, where she's, like, in control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Both ways that argument goes, I can see. Yeah. Like, they both are understandable to me. It's just very frustrating that nothing is done about Ron's behavior there. Hermione doesn't really take Harry's side like she does in the book, right? We were so happy when she, Hermione showing up outside of the common room. With a stack of toast. That whole scene that we loved yeah, so much in the like book. Yeah, we don't see that brother-sister, that sibling relationship. We just don't We do get, get it a little bit, a little bit when she's talking to Harry right before the first task. Yeah, but, there's one like, really good scene. We get the indication that she has been helping Harry with the spell. And it's a little sad that we don't see that. That's actually something I, I do miss. Yeah. But yeah, the the clothing for the Yule Ball is particularly spectacularly bad. We talked about a TikTok um, when we were reading it about how um, Parvati and Padma's clothing is awful. Yeah, it's... So much worse than I expected. It's just like straight off the roll from the like fabric store. Not even patterned. Like it's just it's so bad. So that sucks. And I 
I really hate um, Hermione's dress. Uh, I really liked in the books that it was blue turquoise. In the movies, it's pink. I know that's a small it's thing. Pink and it's a style that doesn't it does flatter nothing. her. Yeah, it does nothing for it's her. It's a very odd... Yeah, I never liked that. Um, I would also like to give a huge negative shout-out to the costume designer who decided what Ginny was going to wear to the Yule Ball, which is maybe the worst pitiful style infantilizing dress on the face of the planet. Yeah, that sucks. It's so funny because, like, I had like zero eye for any type of fashion when I was in high school when this movie came out because I don't know I grew up homeschooled and not looking at most like a lot of media stuff oh yeah same. um and I loved Ginny's dress when really? I saw the movie the first time yes I did <laughs> that's very fascinating <laughs> um it's deeply ugly mm -hmm. no I agree I just yeah <laughs> yeah I a very it's a weird it's... idea of fashion when i was however old i was when this came out i guess i wasn't even high school yet i was like 11 or 12 when this movie came out so with different colors maybe on somebody but not extremely not those it's like watermelon colors yeah like it's real bad. light green and red pink when I was a camp counselor, the Harry Potter exhibit, which was a whole thing for a long time, like the movies had just, I guess the movies weren't done yet, but the books were done and they mm -hmm. did a like traveling exhibit of the like costume and stuff uh. from the books and it was at various museums and it came to the Chicago Science and Industry Museum. And as a camp counselor, this was like the perfect field trip for our campers. Um, nice. And so we took them. And it was <laughs> one of the things that they advertised is you could see the Yule Ball dresses for Hermione and Ginny. And um, I would like to tell you that it is just as ugly in person. <laughs> Having seen it in person, just as horrendously ugly in person. Fantastic. Um, maybe even worse because it has no hanger appeal. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. That's my big Now comment. I need to look it up to remind myself because I can only picture the, what the top of it looks like. And as someone who really likes like colorful 60s swing dresses, like that's what I'm picturing and I like that. But now I need to let look me, it up. Let me drop this in here. Yeah, it's not, it's not a swing dress. No. It's a watermelon. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah, no, <laughs> I got it. It's a like weird fairy tale like dress up like, like a fairy tale like princess costume basically yes and the top of. is like from a totally different dress we will include this picture in the tweet for this episode it's bad it's bad y'all so I, I feel very bad for this also, actress like, all those buttons down the front anyway. yeah they yeah are. positive note i think uh crumb's formal jacket is pretty all right yeah <laughs> crumb in general fine in this movie yeah they could have they did him dirty with that haircut. They did the do him dirty with that haircut. Goatee thing that he yeah. has. They did him dirty. That actor's pretty cute under there. Um, shout out to the line Victor's more of a physical being. <laughs> I think that that's very funny that Hermione got to say that line. <laughs> and the, the smirk that Danrad gets to give in return very good, very sibling. I loved yeah. that little scene. 
it reminds me of stuff that happens later in the movies and the books between Harry and Hermione. So that was a nice yeah. little. I still think there. Hermione and Crumb, good pairing. Can we talk about Neville? Neville. <laughs> I love Neville in this movie. I am sad that we don't get the Harry and Neville plot like explicitly. Like that is one of the things I do miss is Harry. I feel like, like Neville is more in the movie than he is in the book. Yeah, but like Harry like debriefing with Dumbledore about like Neville's parents and then mm. like that like active sympathy for they Neville. They don't does that even ever get addressed no. in the yes, movie? It does. The names Okay. The, the names are mentioned in the trial. It's extremely blink and miss it. Cause I that is the thing that I don't like that they didn't focus on at all in the movies. There's a big change in the fifth movie, and there is an acknowledgement of what Neville and his parents have gone through, but it's completely different in the fifth movie as well from what happens there. Um, it is a, a conversation that happens, but like barely. That's mm -hmm. one of the changes that I do think was kind of unfortunate for this, that they cut out that debrief between Harry and Dumbledore. You do see Harry reacting to hearing Neville's parents' names in the yeah. trial scene. Like, you see him have a reaction. And then he talks to Dumbledore after, and they don't talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And you see all of the same scenes with Neville. Like, you see him being, like... And more scenes with Neville. Having because... the trauma flashback yeah. during the class. Like, you see Hermione, like, talking to him afterwards. I could even see them adding a, like... Harry talking to Neville thing of like yeah just because they put Neville in the movie more than he is in the book like they took out the scene where Harry and Dumbledore are talking about him but they put Neville in more because they replaced Dobby with Neville in right so there's like the movie. a bunch of really sweet interactions between Harry and Neville but we don't know why mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so if you don't already know going in then it's just kind of like Oh, this kid's here now. Yeah. Especially like we talked about earlier, the like watching this as a one-off, not having read the books. Do they even ever mention that Neville's last name is not Longbottom in the movie before we hear no. his parents' names? Because then people watching the movie and not reading the books uh, would have no idea I the think, significance of that scene. I think Moody does. Oh, yeah. He says, Longbottom, come with me. Yeah. Moody calls okay. on him by name in class. But that's it. You'd have to be very paying very close attention to yeah, catch it's that. Very blink and you miss it. However, I will say the like we said before, not having the house elves in this is a good choice. Extremely when good. I first watched this movie, I had not yet be begun to be critical <laughs> of house elves, and so I hated that Dobby was replaced by Neville um, because I just hated anything that was changed from the books when I watched the movies the first time. Um, now I am so glad that they did that. And I understand yeah. completely why they did that. Because they're like, we can't yeah. put this, we can't put house elves in these movies. <laughs> like the way they are in the books. I can understand a little bit missing Dobby. Because Dobby's endearing. Yeah. Like the entire concept sucks so hard. But Dobby's, Dobby's doing his best. Yeah. Um, and I will say, like, it's not a big spoiler to say that, like, Dobby 
will be in the fifth book and will not be in the fifth movie for the and will be replaced again by Neville gotcha. because that's okay. We get a different house off. Oh, y- yep. Th- oh. Yes. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh no is correct. <laughs> oh no. Uh huh. So that's nice. Yeah, the house elf stuff is not going to get better in the next few books. Four so, movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's going to get worse. I, I, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, let's get back to the movie. I'm glad that Neville replaced Dobby. Let's talk about the tournament and let's talk about Cedric. Yes. Yeah. Robert Pattinson does a great job. He's not given yeah. a lot to do, which makes me sad. I would have liked it if the rewrite that the screenwriter did made him more prominent i think it would have been good to at least have like one more conversation between harry and cedric before the ball before harry gets jealous i don't know the it their relationship feels flatter than it did in the book which is unfortunate it also in the book we meet cedric in the third book he has already existed before and cho Mm -hmm. Whereas both of them only appear in the fourth movie. Like, yeah. that's when they first appear. Um, I enjoy that Ron clearly just has a crush on all sportsmen. Um, yes, Ron. He's, he's also <laughs> bowled over by Cedric. Yeah, which is great. Love that. And Harry, obviously, very, you know, shout out to Dan Rad for reading between the lines of the script and, like, eyeing Cedric appreciatively a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. I deeply enjoyed that. Cedric, his character is just like a little flat, kind of like yeah. you just said. There's the but... one scene which, you know, it's not much, but both Robert and Dan do a great job with it, where Cedric is like hinting at Harry how to use the egg clue. Yeah, the one that we were like, what the fuck, Cedric? Just deliciously awkward. <laughs> and then the... They actually... The maze, we'll talk about in a moment, but the, after they activate the port key, the movie gives them a little bit more time Mm -hmm. before Cedric dies, which I think is good. Because they don't really get the time before because of the way they set up the hedge maze. Yeah, we'll talk about the maze in a minute. Yeah, but like, Cedric getting to actually react to the transportation like, he confronts um, Wormtail. He does, yeah. and he also thinks this is part of the task. He's like, oh, the cup is a port key. This is so cool, which he mentions in the book also. He says, like, oh, did you know this is, this is a part of the task? And Robert Pattinson does a good job, like, indicating with his face that he thinks this is part of the task until yeah. suddenly he doesn't. And the scene where Harry and Cedric come back... Yeah. And Harry is holding God. Cedric's dead body, and Amos Degree reacts is heartbreaking. Absolutely yeah. one of the best acted scenes in the entire series. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think Dan Radcliffe doesn't quite have a handle on crying on acting Q. quite yet, but he's but it doesn't giving matter. it. He's giving it a hundred and ten percent. He's giving it 110%, and the actor who plays Cedric's father, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yep. God. That, just, 
scene broke me. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, I cried the way that I cry at like Theoden, Theoden's yeah. like grief scene in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a good comparison. It's a big scene and the director and the actors handle it really, really admirably in a way that it's not handled all that well in the book. All of the adult actors also supporting that scene, like Dumbledore and Snape and I don't remember. And the guy who plays Moody. Uh, Yeah. And Moody. Like the way that he, in in a way that like, if you don't know what's going on, if you haven't picked up on the clues, et cetera, the way that he holds Harry who is like trying to get back to Cedric's body mm-hmm. yeah. looks like comfort in a really interesting way. It's yeah. It's right on that line between comfort and like threat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a, in a really good way. It's a really interesting version. Um, another comment from my partner who says, wow, I really forgot how these movies really aren't kids, kids movies. Yeah. Like there is a distinct line between even movie three and the end of movie four where like this, no, this is not for children. Yeah. I want to highlight, I was, you know, I was looking up some stuff about the production and I found this interview with the director. Um, and he has this really interesting take where he says, I read the book very carefully and I felt that there was a way to make one film, which was a thriller. It was the fact that Voldemort played by Ralph Fiennes was really in charge of things from the very beginning, and only little by little did Harry catch up with what was happening to him until it was too late. There he was, facing the devil in a graveyard. As soon as I could see that, I felt like I could stay true to the book and keep the length down. Yeah. So, like, from the jump, the director was like, oh, yeah, this is a scary movie. This is a horror movie, (laughs) yeah. Which I Um, think is smart. I don't think he succeeded. Not fully, because there's too much book in this book. Yeah, (laughs) like you can't just cut out the other plots, so you couldn't make a really effective thriller. But the graveyard scene to like Harry processing Cedric's death, yeah, is really well done. Um, quickly before we maybe talk about the task, uh, I just want to mention that something I really like about what the movie did with Cho. Um, whom oh, yeah. we will talk about a lot, is they made it very clear that Cho Chang actually has a crush on Harry, um, that this is not like a one-way situation. Um, we actually see her on the train and they like kind of exchange a cute little look and then they like make a lot of eye contact. There's a funny scene where um, Harry sees her <laughs> across the great hall and she smiles at him and he tries to smile back except he's got a mouthful of juice and spits it all over his front <laughs> which I think is very well Great acted work. by Dan Rad. Good stuff. But she tur- her, her friends all laugh at him and she turns to them and goes shush. Like she, she thinks he's cute and then when he finally asks her to the ball she's like really remorseful that she's already said yeah. yes to in this case Cedric. Yeah, like, her performance makes it clear that, like, it is mutual, but she's, like, just a little bit further ahead of him in, like... Everything. <laughs> processing feelings and, like, emotional maturity, so she has that sort of kindness of turning him down. Yeah, and, like, she she would have gone with him if he had asked, but, like, somebody already got there first, and it's not that she doesn't like Cedric, and... Yeah. She does a... Like, shout out to this poor actress which I say for so many reasons that we will discuss in the next book. 
Um, and she has talked about in, what is in her public interviews. Um, name again? Katie Long, I believe. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely butchering the last name. Leung? But I'm, she has come I'm out so since then about, like, her experience. experiences with racism. Yeah, mm-hmm. like mistreatment. On set, yeah. Yeah. On set, in fan communities, at all sorts of places. Um, and we will talk more in depth about JKR's choice of name for this yeah. character. Um, but shout out to Katie for, like, really, really going for a really interesting look at Cho Chang in this movie and really setting up well for book and movie five. Yeah. Her reaction also, we get like one reaction shot of her in Cedric's um, death yeah. scene. And she's and nails it. Really, really, really well done. Um, Should we talk about the tasks and then the graveyard scene? I was going to say yeah. tasks and graveyard. Um, the first task, unremarkable. They spend way too long on it. Remarkable in a in so in such a weird way too. <laughs> yeah, the in setup a, unremarkable in how much they tried to make it remarkable. Yeah, the setup is great, and Hermione and Harry. There's like a shot where they're talking through the tent. Yeah, and great, there's a lot of great, great frame scening. Yeah, um, it's a very cute shot, and then and just they have like, the hug, which gets yeah, Rita, but whatever but it's cute and and it's it's done well um the little dragons shout out to the little dragons baby dragons we see two of them. i still want one um the actual task we kind of warned you about this right e yeah so we don't see the first three at all no we just see harry waiting in the tent which is effective i can understand that like it's it's a decision for time and it's the same thing that happens in the book. Like yeah. Harry doesn't. We don't see the what they do. Um, although in the book we get an explanation. Here, yeah, he it. hears the crowd, and then later, and Ron, Ron tells, tells him. him everything that happened after. Yeah, yeah. But. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's this big extended chase scene between Harry and the dragon, which is so long. Yeah. They go all the way over to the castle, which this tournament, like, this task is not taking place at the castle. It's, like, on a mountain a couple miles away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they completely leave the area. This is the only task where the audience can actually see what's happening, and they don't get to see this. It's so <laughs> yeah. far away. And it's so long. Like, I don't know what... You think they were just so proud of their uh, dragon probably yes the creation that they had to put it in this like we made this team of animators make dragon cgi and by god we're going to use it yeah exactly Uh um strong implication that harry directing the dragon through this big wooden bridge kills the dragon Uh not a fan of not a fan of that no also he 100 would not get second place if he killed the dragon yeah no, I think that would be a disqualifier. Wisconsin, yeah, disqualification. Yeah, it's it's weird, but I get. I guess I get why they but, did it. Yeah. Also, because like you look at the description in the book, and like it's just Harry talking to himself. I think it's just not this director's specialty. Like this director is a 
horror thriller director. Yeah. And just didn't do a great job. Like, I can imagine a chase scene of that length, which is much more fun. Yeah. It's just not really interesting. Yeah. Which is a bummer. It's fine. First task, whatever. Um, Second task... Before we get to the second task, we should at least mention the bathroom scene. Oh, yeah. On the bathroom scene. Put that in the trash. Yeah. They were like, oh, this was weird in the book. Let's make it worse. Let's make it so much much weirder. I feel really bad for Dan Rad. So again, we're talking about like stuff from the making of the film and the reception of the film. Dan Rad is Danny Radcliffe um, is 15, I believe, because he's a year older than the movie ages. And he has to strip down for this scene. He has to be at least shirtless, right? Because he's in the bath. Yeah. I assume he's wearing shorts. And it what sucks is a whole bunch of people started lusting after Dan Rad because of this scene. Because and not like contemporaries his age who like had screen crushes which is again a fairly normal part of team development right um Mm -hmm. like if you are not uh if you are someone who experiences sexual desire then like that's a very normal part of your yeah you you see somebody yeah you see somebody topless you get exactly very very normal teenage thing um no i'm talking about like not contemporaries of dan rad's age being like like, adults. adults Um, really like lusting after him because of this scene. Um, it's gross. Which, to be clear, the scene encourages. The scene specifically encourages. Because the actress playing Myrtle. Who was given the worst line. Just the writing for her sucks. It sucks already. But in this, it's like she is being sexual towards him. Yes. Very clearly. explicitly. Where in the book, it's like. In the book, there's, like, a joke about voyeurism, but it's not lingered and on. And she's not sexual around Harry, although she is around Cedric. She says... Right. Which is... Something specific. Bad, but Cedric is older than Harry, and Myrtle is young in the book. Yeah. So it's She's, like, like, eternally 17. Cedric is 17, 18. Harry is 14. So it's, like, it's only weird because it's voyeurism. Yeah. In the book. In this, it's an adult actor being given explicitly sexual at length language and body direction yeah language and body direction which uh, it's so bad it is so bad it sucks in like 800 ways when he's listening to the egg and it's in front of him he's holding it and she like strokes her hand down the edge of the egg gross gross so don't do that don't (laughs) Don't do that. Screenwriters, directors, etc. Don't do that. The second task. Shout out to Neville. Shout out to Neville. Shout out to Neville. Oh my god, I've killed Harry Potter. It's so cute. <laughs> Shout out. He's so cute. Also, Seamus and Dean are mm-hmm. there watching. And it's nice to see them. I like the concept of the towers in the middle of the lake, the viewing towers. Uh-huh. That was not in the mm-hmm. book. Everybody was uh, on a shore. I think in the book, everyone was on yeah. the bank. Uh, this makes more sense. They still can't see. 
They could have done but, a magical thing to make it clear to be able to see down into the bottom yeah, of the lake. Yeah, they could have made them see. Yeah. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. But um, it is obvious that they they can't see because they're like, oh, the crowd is just, you occasionally see the crowd just being like, what's going on? Yeah. Positive shout out to Chrome's shark. Yeah. <laughs> Negative shout out to the gillyweed effect, which is way more body horror than it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, don't like the way, that. what it did to his feet. Like, yeah, that's you sucks. can make it look like flippers without making the feet disappear into the flippers. <laughs> Actually, didn't mind and that. Making them like three um, feet that long. felt like accurate to the to the book. I hate it. <laughs> it was fine. I think the second task is fine. Yeah, they do a good. The wax figures that they use for the people at the bottom of the lake. Negative <laughs> shout out. This is like the worst Madame Tussauds <laughs> wax figure competition on the face of the planet. <laughs> They're so bad. But other than that, it's... If you're not looking closely, they're fine. Yeah. But it's basically the same as what's um, in the book. It's not made as clear in the movie that Harry thinks there's a threat right. to the hostages, which sort of weakens the effect of him choosing to save Fleur's sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the movie, it's framed as just like, well, Fleur didn't finish, so I'll do this for yeah. her. Which is weak, but whatever. Yeah. They didn't have time. Everything about Fleur in this movie is weak. Yeah. But to be fair, of... that is also how J.K.R. wrote her. So. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of fine in the movie because like, there's so much else to do in so little time. Yeah. Um, that Fleur is just kind of nothing. Second task, totally fine. Same as the book, whatever. However, third task. Third task. They made some choices. This is where the director chooses to make this a horror movie, mm-hmm. which I, I understand the choice. I don't agree with the implementation of it, but I think it's a smart idea to change the tone to horror before, before the Porky. Yeah, because that was one of my problems. Right, is that we've had tournament, tournament tournament teen drama tournament and then it flips on a dime yeah with the port key so i think it's good to change the tone to set that up but i don't the the maze is the thing yeah in the movie there's no creatures and in fact dumbledore says this right he like pulls everybody together he's like there's no creatures there's no spells you have to cast you just have to not lose yourself in the maze which is, of course, a double meaning. It also implies that the, the maze changes you. Yeah, which is very strange. It's like he's... The movie is trying to have him foreshadow Crumb being imperious. But Dumbledore has no way of knowing that. Or if he did, then I, have, I need to have some words. <laughs> but... <Yeah. laughs> like, why, why... Why foreshadow that in that way? Yeah. Because you're just implying that Dumbledore could have stopped this, but didn't. Or you're implying that Crumb isn't actually imperious. That he's... He's affected by the maze. Yeah. Which there's like a huge implication of that. Again, talking about watching this movie without having read the books, there's no... Like, the only mention of the imperious curse is in the class with Moody. Yeah, we don't get... Like, we don't have any indications of what it looks like on a person. 
not yeah. to this and point. And yeah. Dumbledore says that about the maze, which makes you just, just think that it's the maze that does and, that. like, Harry says to Cedric, like, don't hurt him. He's been cursed or he's been bewitched, actually, is the language. Yeah. But, like, that doesn't mean imperious. That could mean the maze. The maze did it. That's what they think. Yeah, especially since, like, a few minutes later... Harry and Cedric aren't sure if they're going to, like, save each other and they're, like, being changed by the... Like, it's... Yeah. It's... Yeah. I, and because we... The the moody crouch bragging is shortened. Yeah. Because in the book, he's explicitly like, yeah, I, I made Crumb do that. Yeah. And we don't get that here. So, unfortunate that that was cut. Well, you know, they did cut down the seven and a half page villain speech. They did. To like two minutes. Yeah, it was <laughs> so. more effective on Voldemort than it was on Moody. Yeah. yeah. I don't think the Moody speech was particularly good. I think that I find the third task to be the weakest part of this movie. Also because like, this is actually something that I understand why they did and it has to do with budget, but they don't do a lot of spell casting unless they yeah. have to. And it's yeah, because really don't. effects are expensive, but it really would have been nice to see Harry using any magic. Oh, yeah. At all. And like little things. Which is the like, whole point of the maze task. The four point spell. He could have used the four point spell. Exactly. Yeah. And they didn't even have to show him learning it. They could have just said, like, whatever the name of the four point spell, which is never said out loud, but whatever. They could have just used that little spell as an indicator of, like, the champions know what they're doing. Yeah, instead of just running around blindly. Yeah. Moody even says, when <laughs> Moody's trying to convince Harry, we haven't talked about Hagrid and Meta and Maxine yet, but we will in a second. This just reminded me. When Moody is trying to tell Harry what to do with the first task, he talks about all this magic that Cedric knows how to do. Cedric doesn't do any magic. No. no. He does Not zero magic. Um, we don't even Harry see does the... more magic. Yeah, and it's still none. Yeah. Um, shout out to Hagrid and Madame Maxime. They yeah. made the entire giant half giant plot, and they're like big fight. And Madame Maxime is like hugely in love with Hagrid, and it's so cute. And the it's actors so do such good. a great job. I love it. It's so good. Maxime is played by one of those British actresses who does everything. Yeah. Um, I recognized her from uh, Enola Holmes. She plays the grandmother. Yeah. She's in, like, name uh, a British production kind of yeah. actress. She's fantastic. Yeah. Great interpretation of that. So much fun. Also, the fact that she's, like, a full head taller. Ugh, I love it. Yeah. I'm so glad they got rid of the giant prejudice thing. That was unnecessary. Yeah. Anyway, back to the third task that just reminded me. The, the maze eats people. Maze does with eat vines. people. Yeah. And also by just squishing them. I'm so bummed we don't get the quiet moment at the end between Harry and Cedric. Yeah, the maze is like coming in on them and they have to decide what to do with the cup rather than like it's having frantic, a conversation. Which yeah. is not great. I yeah. miss that scene a lot. Um, but they do take the cup and they end up in the graveyard. And we already talked about how we like that there's a little bit of Cedric there. Yeah, there's a little yeah. bit of time. He stands up, he confronts Wormtail. Shout out to Cedric. Shout out to Cedric. And um, then he dies. The graveyard scene. Yep. Which is so Harry, much better than Harry the book. Harry sees 
the killing curse in this one, I think. Yes, his eyes are open. I don't know that that matters, but that is... Um, it makes a little more sense for the next book. The potion spell is shortened in a very smart way. In general, a way better... So much better. So much better. I would like to... And this screenwriter did all of the movies, save for movie five. Which I think... Uh, uh, I was looking up the... Did they? Yeah. The screenwriter oh. did the adaptations of every movie, except for movie five, which uh, I, I can't find the original article, but the quote on Wikipedia is... Screenwriter Cloves on the challenge of adapting Goblet of Fire. The fourth film, Goblet of Fire, was really hard to do. I wrote on it for two years, but it's not that simple. Yeah, the screenwriter did a really, really thoughtful job of adapting this, and it shows. Yeah, especially this graveyard scene. We talked a little bit about the like direction of Ralph as Voldemort and how much better it was and the sort of specific kind of manic that they chose to have him do mm-hmm. or that he chose to do which is um, a lot of like being very dramatic yeah which, and theatrical big drama queen absolutely big drama queen makes so much sense he's i mean in his own way he is performing for the death eaters oh yeah which i think is what the intention was in the book but didn't really come through because of that because it was just a monologue without the or the reactions, whereas in yeah. the movie you get the reactions. But here we get reactions from, like, we get reaction shots from Harry, we get reaction shots from Wormtail and the Death Eaters. You know, I think yeah. Lucius has a little bit of back and forth. And it's way shorter because he doesn't explain his entire history. Also, there's no floating up in the air to a different say. spot in the graveyard. There's no giant golden bubble. There is a giant golden <laughs> bubble, but very briefly. Yeah, and it- there's no Phoenix song. No. Um, way better. The ghosts are there, which I still don't appreciate. But they're but- not like what's described in the book, which is like solid smoke that like fall out of the wand and have to like stand up, which is what's in the book. Like this makes a lot more yeah. sense, at least. Yeah. Do they talk in the movie? I wasn't paying attention they do. again. James says. You've got to run. You won't have much time. And Cedric says, take my body. And then Lily says, we'll linger for just a moment. You have to let go. You have to let go. Yeah. Right. Um, No Bertha Jorkins. No Bertha Jorkins. Alas. She doesn't exist. Which is fine. Because we didn't care about her. (laughs) The most important character on whom the entire book hangs. R.I.P. Yeah. And we already talked about returning... Cedric. Yeah. Just, I, what, I know we already did, but I just want to give a shout out to Ralph, what's it, however you say his last name, because he is so good as Voldemort. Yeah, yeah so and good. continues to be. And yeah, also, you will continue to see this. Continues to be barefoot. <laughs> Great choice. Like, for basically the rest of the series, anytime you see him, he's in those big I- black robes and he's always barefoot. Don't think I've noticed that before. Yeah, he never puts shoes on. He's a snake man. Mood. He's he not he he don't oh negative shout out. They give Nagini a woman slithering voice. And this is long before the new movies. I This is in the dream sequence at the very start. Nagini yeah. speaks, quote unquote, like a woman. Just big old <laughs> negative shout out there. If you know, you know. If you don't know, stay that way. 
<laughs> yeah, don't we don't need to know. You don't want to know. Unfortunately, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, um Yeah, any any big wrap up thoughts? Oh, did you want to oh shout out to Alan Rickman. Oh yeah. We have to talk about Alan we Rickman. Have to talk about we, Alan Rickman. Yeah. The study hall scene. <laughs> so good. So good. I feel like I read or saw somewhere that that was just like Alan Rickman just decided to do that. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to the whatever combo of director screenwriter Alan Rickman himself for the change to the Harry gets caught in the stairwell scene. Yeah. Which instead of Harry like creeping around. Well, he was in class when he was originally threatened. Wait. Oh, there's two things no. that were combined here. The they, thing I, yeah. In the movie, Harry is just coming back from Dumbledore's office and finds, and Snape like is like coming out of his potions, which for some reason is on the way. That yeah, doesn't make sense. But he's talking with Karkaroff. So we have right. multiple things. It's Karkaroff showing the dark mark to Snape. And it's Snape confronting Harry about the loss of the things from his storeroom, which he mentions and in the book when Harry's coming back with the egg after the bath. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And it's the class scene in Potions where Snape threatens Harry with, with Veritaserum. Veritaserum. Yeah. yeah, it's three things true. that are combined. And, and well done. So well done. Alan Rickman, I mean, everything he does is top tier, but absolutely top tier delivery of those lines the don't lie to me line yeah. is very good and in the in the study hall when he just like gently pulls up his sleeves and then just shoves the two boys heads i mean don't do not beat your children in your classroom don't do That's this illegal, to kids but very but, funny yeah that scene in general very very good Alan I mean, you can tell that joy he, in that scene. You can tell that he had an absolute blast with the material he yeah. was given. Yeah, he has an absolute blast in like the entire all the movies. Yeah, and all of the kit, the child actors like loved him, yeah. and they had such a great relationship between yeah. all of them. It's, I love that. Yeah, like yeah. It's this is not book Snape. Yeah, at all. But I like I understand why this made people like Snape. Yes. Um, this name is likable. Shout out to Fred and Angelina. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, the study hall scene is like gold for so many reasons. They don't have their thing in this movie, which is the bet with Ludo Bagman. Their plot, yeah. And then the joke shop stuff, which is kind of a bummer. It comes back. They'll get it. It's, it's fine. Yeah. They still have some really great moments, which is yeah. nice. Mm -hmm. Also, they are so tall. They are so, <laughs> so tall. tall. Neville also. Very They're like tall. two feet taller than this Dan is the Rad. point. I know where Dan Rad is short, but like they had to start padding. I can't remember Neville's actor's name all of a sudden, um, but they had to start oh. padding him and having him wear false Matthew. teeth. Matthew, right? Um, because he something. got hot too fast. He got hot too fast. He got hot. Way <laughs> yeah. <before everybody> else. <laughs> so he had fake teeth. He had fake teeth, and they had to pad him because he like grew like a weed and had flat abs he wasn't chubby um, anymore he wasn't chubby anymore so um shout out to matthew for like and dealing with that. that yeah yeah and doing a great job as always there's just so many good tiny moments in this movie the scene with mcgonagall teaching ron how to dance oh my god i also gender <laughs> the performance but so much fun yeah babbling bumbling band of baboons yeah the giant phonograph and Filch dancing with his cat. 
<laughs> There's just so I many like fun, cute things in this movie. Also, shout out to the music of the Hogwarts March. Yeah. Or yeah. the um whatever the victory song is called. I think it's called it's not the march. Is it a march? I know the march is the song that they sing. There is a there's two different musical ensembles in this, which I really would like to know more about. There's an <laughs> yes. orchestra that plays during the dance. And mm-hmm. there's a a pep band waltz. like a brass band at the at the end, at the yeah. Third task. Bump, it's the third task. I would love to know. <laughs> is um, what's his name? Flitwick. The classes on the side. He's the conductor. He is the conductor. So, like, is he teaching band and orchestra on the side? He also teaches a frog choir at the beginning of the third movie. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, he's the he's the one conducting the in the third movie when they do the frog choir. Yeah. Um. So the movies have suggested that the, that Flitwick runs a co curricular like music entire music program by himself. That's which so is great. great. I mean, the books have no arts in them, so no. Yeah, out I'm very glad that yeah the directors for envisioning arts in this school at all. Yeah. Shout out to the band, the Weird Sisters. Yes, who are like a a real band. Yeah, now. apparently two of the musicians, Wizard Rock. Uh no, no, no. Not, none of the like official official franchise stuff is Wizard Rock oh. because Wizard Rock is not allowed. <laughs> apparently, two of the musicians uh, on screen are members of Radiohead, which is great. Oh, really? Yeah. That's amazing. That is incredible. Also, did either of you watch the deleted scene that I, I posted last night of the okay. entire song? Because I it's... gotta say, I mean, great job to the musicians. I don't like that. <laughs> that just makes it like, it just makes it like an American teen school dance. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I mean, the way that the kids are very excited about the Weird Sisters performing in the book makes it feel like it, it should be that kind of music for them to be yeah, like excited to have it's a concert. Accurate. It's just, we live in wizard society. <laughs> we live in a society. That is made of wizards? <laughs> I don't know, I like it. I think that- I like, like can you do the hip- hippogriff? We played it at all of our Yule Balls, and it was great. Yeah, <laughs> It's cute in the same way that like, I really appreciate the teen drama of this book. I really appreciate that they stuck, like, I mean, it's not good music, but they stuck this song in to show a prom. Yeah. Also, speaking of that. music, John Williams, not the composer for this movie. Oh. Oh. Um, it was somebody else. John Williams was busy, and... <laughs> John <laughs> always busy, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> the busiest. Is it back to him for the next movie? I don't know. The composer came in to do it, and he event- he only used the uh, Hedwig's theme. That was the only thing he recycled. Everything else was new. Yeah, the um, like the music in all of the movies, like it's always movie three and movie five that stand out for me with music. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, yeah, I didn't movie. really notice much of the music except for the very beginning. The Most of it was just like dark horror, creepy music. music. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was good, like 
underscoring music. None of it was like compelling over the material of the scene. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah. Lots of shout outs for this movie. It's a good movie. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have uh, an off the cuff movie ranking? Either Ooh. of you? Movie three I... is always going to be the top. For me yeah, from now on. No, or... I think so. I think having seen this movie, I'm going to go back to my what I wish book four would have ranked for me, which is three, four, one, two. Mm-hmm. I think movie three is still probably unbeatable. That movie was yeah. so mm-hmm. tight. Yeah, my my ranking is the same three, four, one, two. It's it's hard to beat Alfonso Cuarón's. Mm-hmm. That movie was just so version. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, definitely, so well done. This movie, like top tier adaptation of this very difficult book to adapt. Absolute yeah. disaster of a book. Still not really coherent as a whole, like start to finish single story. Yeah. But good work. Did a good job. Sweet. Yeah. I'm going out on a good note, which is nice. Yeah. Leaving book four and the plot of Goblet of Fire on a positive note. We are going to take a little break before we start book five. Yeah. And we will... uh let everyone know on Twitter when we know when we will be back. Yeah. yeah we, we had a good time with book four, despite having a bad time with book four. Um, <laughs> and so it goes. Uh, I'm excited so it's to kind of continue to go. I bet. Yeah, I was going to say. Shout out to Emma Watson's eyebrow acting and uh, Daniel Radcliffe's lower jaw acting. Yes. <laughs> Everybody has their technique. Which really come into prominence in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Rupert Grint still has the best, like, facial acting. Oh, God, yeah. He definitely has the most experience out of those, the main three actors. Like, he was the one that was already acting before that. He doesn't have nearly as much to do as Danrad in this movie, but he makes makes good of what he got. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And despite the issues with the series, um, we're We're on our, our journey. We're on the downhill slope. Yeah, we are. Very, we're at the to. very top of the downhill slope. That's right. <laughs> it's a real long one, but we are over half. That's right. I have been Zoe. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z, and buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. I've been Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore, and buy the games that I write at wilderflower.itch.io. I have been E. You can find me on Twitter at CEL10E. You can find the show at Potternot on both Twitter and Tumblr. And you can find more music by our amazing composer, Morgan Jackson, at we did the time warp again.bandcamp.com. Um, he's a really great composer talking about compositions for this movie. We gave him some very vague direction when we asked for our theme of it should sound like Harry Potter. And Morgan really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Um, so thank you. And we will. See y'all on the flip side. Bye. Bye.